0: Welcome to our podcast today. I'm Kate Wilson, a professional support lawyer in the real estate team at Herbert Smith Freehills in London, and I'm joined by Mickey Yang, of counsel from our corporate real estate team. Hi, Mickey. Hi. Our topic for conversation today is the Register of Overseas Entities. By way of background, in early 2018, the UK government announced the intention to launch a public register listing the beneficial ownership of overseas companies that own property in the UK. The idea is to launch this in 2021. The main purpose of the Register is to prevent the use of UK land by overseas entities for money laundering or investment of illicit funds by increasing transparency of ownership. The draft Registration of Overseas Entities Bill was issued in July 2018 and was followed by a consultation on its terms. The Government has yet to publish the next version of the bill for consideration and so our musings today are based on that first draft and the Joint Committee response to the consultation which was released in summer of this year. Our key takeaways today are to briefly outline some of the requirements of the regime and then to look at scenarios which could arise under the legislation as currently drafted and how these could impact the sorts of transactions which our clients frequently undertake. So Mickey, can you take us through some of the main aspects of the regime as it's currently drafted?
1: Well, the new regime means that obviously, entities wanted to acquire a registrable title on property located in the UK, we need to be registered as such in the company's house, uh, we'll have to identify its beneficial owner, and um, it'll have to obtain uh, an ID as overseas entity and it will have an obligation to update the beneficial ownership information in the register annually or confirm that there have been no changes. So Kate, for these purposes, what would be a registrable title? So the current draft of the bill states that a
0: qualifying estate um, is either a freehold estate in land or a leasehold estate in land where the lease is granted for a term of more than seven years, so potentially catches a large number of estates.
1: So, that means that overseas entities wishing to acquire any such interest or dispose of such interest will have to be registered as an overseas entity in the register. The consequences of not complying with the regime um, are that the entity itself um, and the offices in the fold will have committed an offence. The property will not be capable of being registered in the name of the unregistered overseas entity, and a property registered in the land register under the name of an overseas entity that has not registered or has not complied with its obligations to update the register on an annual, annual basis cannot dispose of the property without itself and its offices being in the fold. The disposal would still be valid. But as Kate will explain later on, there's uncertainty as to whether the transfer will be able to be registered after the event.
0: Thanks, Mickey. So who is caught under this new regime? All overseas legal entities
1: are caught. Uh, The term is not defined yet, um, but it it is understood that it will um, include all legal persons under the laws under which they are governed. Uh, That includes companies, limited liability partnerships and certain certain limited partnerships with legal personality, such as Luxembourg, SCS. Um, It will not include unincorporated associations and partnerships. It will not include, I- include either trusts, uh, although obviously trustees, which are legal entities, are subject to registration. And where the trustee exercises significant control and influence over an overseas entity, it will be a registrable beneficial owner. It will not include government and public authorities, but these can be identified as registrable beneficial owners. It is also understood that individuals are excluded from the regime, although the fact that in some places the bill refers to legal persons rather than legal entities has raised uh, questions as to whether they will be included.
0: Okay, so we're an overseas entity that wants to acquire property in the UK. We filed our application in the register. How are we going to identify who our beneficial owner is
1: Um, The concept of beneficial owner in the draft bill is in line uh, with that in the uh, persons with significant control uh, regime that applies to UK entities. Um, In essence, um, it is an entity that directly or indirectly um, holds 25% or more of the shares in the overseas entity, uh, 25% or more of the voting rights, or has the right to exercise or actually exercises significant influence and control over that overseas entity. Further guidance will be published as to what uh, exercising significant influence and control means, but this is um, expects to be in line with the guidance given in respect of the PSC regime. There will always be grey areas, for example, limited partners of limited partnerships or their shareholders will not typically be registrable beneficial owners, but might be caught uh, if they have veto rights on matters which mean they have a significant influence and control in practice it uh, there may also be joint venture scenarios with a mi- minority holding um, and limited voting rights um on specified reserved matters uh where the minority um Shareholder may be seen to have significant uh, influence and control. Um, so we'll have to see what the guidance say. Um, but the, the PSC uh, regime gives us a, a fairly good idea where the line will be drawn. Lastly, um, trustees or members of a trust or an association may also be beneficial owners to the extent they have the right to exercise or actually exercise significant influence and control will be the trust itself will not be a registrable entity. So up until now, we've described broadly uh, the terms of the new proposed regime. Um, There are probably uh, two um, areas um, that from a practical perspective will be of interest um, and concern. Um, And these are, one, transactional risk, And two, you know, the potential administrative burden that the new regime may involve. So taking those in turn, in terms of transactional risk, Kate, what will it mean in practice? So we've looked at a couple of issues
0: that we anticipate arising under the Act as it's currently drafted, um, where a failure to update could impact on the timing of a sale, particularly to the detriment of an innocent purchaser who has done no wrong. Uh, we can envisage a couple of scenarios where this could arise and which will be familiar to, to those of you involved in commercial property transactions. Firstly, if we take this example, an overseas entity enters into an option agreement with a third party, which is entitled to exercise an option to acquire the land at some future date, dependent on the satisfaction of certain conditions. The long stop date for the exercise of the option is seven years from exchange. The option is subsequently exercised five years into that option period, And, following completion, it emerges that, at the point of disposition, the overseas entity had failed to comply with its updating requirement. As Mickey said earlier, if we assume that this is an otherwise valid disposition, it's currently uncertain as to what happens to the property in terms of the registration of that legal transfer. The explanatory notes which accompany the draft bill state that, should the overseas entity not be a registered overseas entity at the time of the disposition, it will not be possible to register that disposition subsequently. Now, obviously, for us, we feel that's concerning. We've pressed the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy to include a right of appeal in the next draft of the legislation so that if the failure to update is not the fault of the overseas entity, then any restriction on registration should be removed from the title. We've also asked for clarity as to what happens where the updating requirement is rectified post-completion Is the registration of the transfer then backdated, or will it only take effect as at the point at which the breach of the updating requirement has been rectified? This could potentially leave a large registration gap for the purchaser, which could result in other entries being made against the title in that period of uncertainty.
1: So, Kate, I guess that means that similarly lenders will be concerned that where security of a property is to be exercised at a future date, the registration and updating requirements with respect to the overseas edited register are complied as at the time of exercising such security.
0: That's right. Um, And I think that leads into another scenario that, that we consider to be important, which is that often then there's a case for structuring reasons that sales may need to be made in quick succession from one party to the next. Again, in the event that the registration and updating requirements were satisfied at exchange, but not at completion, for example, because the annual updating date was missed, it seems somewhat draconian to impose a restriction on the title, preventing a legal transfer, if this is purely a matter of timing rather than a willful breach of the updating requirements. We've also argued that there are other penalties, as Mickey's already mentioned, uh, financial and reputational and criminal that could be imposed in such a circumstance, but that it's disproportionate to hold up a commercial transaction in this way simply due to a timing issue.
1: So at the moment, the updating obligation is annual, but am I right um, to think that there's suggestions that um, this may need to happen on a transaction-by-transaction basis?
0: That's right. The Joint committee response to the consultation, which was issued in summer of this year, um, contained a suggestion that in addition to the annual update, parties might be obliged to update pre-transaction to ensure that the record is correct as at the point at which the disposition of the property takes place.
1: One would hope in that case that it will be possible to update a chain of transactions in one go such that those transactions can happen um, either simultaneously or in quick succession as originally intended but we're yet to see how those um, practicalities will be dealt with.
0: So I guess one of the practical takeaways from this is that although This regime isn't in place yet and isn't expected to be until 2021 at the earliest. Parties who are entering into contracts now in respect to future dispositions of UK real estate need to start thinking about this and factoring in obligations on the parties involved to make sure that they have complied with their registration requirements and that they have complied with whatever updating requirement comes into force, be it the annual or be it on a transaction by transaction basis, Mickey.
1: Uh, that's right. Um, and I think in practice that means that parties will be looking to include events of the fold, um, where those requirements have not been met, um, with uh, serious consequences to encourage the parties to comply with the regime. And in a context of um, financing, um, I expect there will be in a CPs um, included, and there'll be uh, ongoing covenants and obligations to ensure compliance as well as event of the falls. So, so far, we've been uh, discussing um, the potential practical implications from a transactional risk perspective of this new regime. Moving on to the second area of concern or interest, which is you know, to what extent this new regime would involve an additional administrative burden. Um, I mean, it will definitely be an additional burden, but one that in the entity can, can assume, as we've seen with the uh, PSC regime. Um, it doesn't mean that every overseas entity with a direct or indirect interest in real estate will have to be registered. In essence, the way this works is that to determine um, who is the registrable beneficial owner of an overseas entity, one would have to look up the uh, ownership chain of that uh, overseas entity until it finds um, either uh, an entity subject to the PSE regime, so a UK company or a Scottish limited partnership, an entity with shares um, regulating a regulated market within the EEA, so a listed entity, Or uh, an entity already registered in the register of overseas entities, or potentially, although we need to see um, the secondary legislation new course, uh, an equivalent register to that sort of um, register of overseas entities. So, and that would be your registrable beneficial owner. The entities in the middle would not have, um, would not have um, a registration requirement. So in a, let's, um, let's look at a typical investment portfolio structure with a vertical chain, uh, of holding overseas entities and a horizontal structure of overseas entities at the proper level at the bottom. Uh, in such structures, um, we were thinking that it may be, that there may be some merit, particularly where the beneficial owner, um, at the top of the structure is likely to change over time. To register one of the holding entities just above the propcos, um, even if it is not intended to hold any property itself, such that a change of control of such holding entity and the obligations to update the register only affects that holding entity and not each of the propcos. Pro, uh, as far as the propcos are concerned, their registrable entity would be that holding entity, insofar as it's registered in the register of overseas entities. It is not clear in these circumstances, however, whether a failure to update the register by the holding entity in these circumstances would affect the ability of the Procos to dispose of property. So we'll ha- we- there's still a lot of detail that um, is not quite there and uh, needs to be explore- explored further.
0: Thanks, Mickey. So I think what we're saying is. Whilst at the minute there are lots of uncertainties around how this will actually play out in practice, having been through the PSC regime already, the task of complying with this new register doesn't seem completely impossible. Um, And at the minute, it doesn't seem like every single entity in an ownership train that you've described would have to comply with the full registration requirements in each case. I think One final point that we wanted to just mention was that in light of the current political landscape and the upcoming general election, we should also quickly mention the opposition's plans to further enhance transparency in this area as well. Labour believe that the current proposals don't go far enough to increase transparency of ownership of land um, and that there should be open registers of land ownership, charges and options, open publication of price paid for any property, and clear comprehensive data on land ownership and control. Obviously, no specifics have been released on this yet, but overseas investors will be taking a keen interest in the ongoing political situation here for this, as well as many other reasons. We hope that you found this podcast useful. If you'd like any further information on the draft legislation and its potential effects, please email us at realestatepsls at hsf.com. Thanks.